Well, good morning, church family, and uh, if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, my name is Randy, and I'm privileged to be the lead minister here at the church, and we just want to extend a warm welcome to you here at Windsor Road. Um, I'm going to be in a place called the Fireside Room that's just through these glass doors and to the right, and um, I spend time after each of our services just visiting with our um, uh, newcomers and just would love the opportunity to hear your story and to uh, spend a few moments with you and uh, pray with you if uh, you would like. Uh, we just want to very quickly uh, want you to feel at home here in the church family. So uh, I just want to extend a, a warm welcome to you. And we've got so much going on in the life of our church family here in just a, uh, just two weeks. So we've got uh, Easter services coming. And so, and so I just woke up this morning. I thought, I'm going to dress like it's Easter. So anyway... <laughs> That's what this is. So nobody died. So anyway, <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but uh, no, I, I just um, uh, just am really looking forward. Uh, we've got a wonderful Good Friday service uh, that's uh, planned, and and then our Easter Sunday services. Uh, it's going to be three eight o'clock. 9:30 and 11 o'clock. 8:30 and 11 o'clock. So be thinking about who you might uh, want to invite. Now would just be a prime time to uh, be thinking about and just praying for. Just just make it a matter of prayer. And uh, the Lord just has a mysterious way of answering prayers like, uh, uh, would so and Lord, would you allow so and so to, to uh, give me an opportunity to put in a good word for you? God answers those prayers when we pray them. So anyway, uh, that's what's going to be coming. Um, I don't know if you noticed, um, but. When you came to the worship center, we've got flags uh, um, representing some of the nations of uh, the earth. And um, uh, I was just pleased uh, when I found out that, so in our church family, I don't know if you know this, but we're from 30 different nations. Is that wonderful? 30 different nations. Um, and... Um, so, you know, we, it just gives us something else to, to pray about in terms of, um, you know, our mission as a church is to, to, to share the gospel locally and globally. And, and some of you may say, well, my flag's not up there, Pastor, and I know that. So be patient with your pastor, and we, we're, we're going um, to have eventually all of the nations that we know are represented in our church uh, with, with the flag, because we because it, of what because of what that represents um, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be gathered around the throne of the Lamb, and there will be people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue, and it's just yet another reminder uh, uh, that um, um, God's family is big. And so, so with that in mind, there's a couple of nations um, that I want us to just be in prayer for specifically here uh, um, because they matter to you because it's your, it's, it was the country of your birth. I'm thinking of the, the nation of Venezuela right now and uh, the crisis that's going on there. Um, I just know what I read in the news and but what I know, or what I suspect, is that there are, well, I know there are brothers and sisters in Christ 
um, that my church family, whom I have not even met, uh, are feeling the effects of what's going on there. And, and that touches my heart, and I want to pray about that. And then our own Beth Ingabere, who is our worship director here at the church, uh, just shared with me this week that the borders of Uganda and Rwanda are closed. There's a spat that's going on between the two sibling countries, and um, we want to pray that that would open because uh, commerce can't happen and jobs are affected and families need uh, food, and that right now is being obstructed. So, um, so I just want to pray specifically for uh, the countries of Venezuela uh, Uganda and Rwanda, and uh, I'll lead us in prayer, and then and then I'll I'll bring us into the Lord's prayer. Hmm. Heavenly Father, you are good, you are sovereign, you are sovereign over the nations, and with uh, the Book of Daniel, we we affirm that the Lord God reigns over the kingdoms of men. And he gives them to each one he chooses. You, because you are in charge, Lord. And one day, one day, Lord, all the nations will bow and acknowledge your kingship, Jesus. And we are privileged to do that now by faith. And one day it will be incited. So, Lord, I pray for your sovereign, watchful care. I pray for peace over Venezuela, and I pray that um, physical, tangible needs would be met. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ there. Um, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in Uganda and Rwanda. I pray that, the, that uh, there might be um, sharing and commerce and neighborly relations, Lord. We depend upon you. And so we come to you and we thank you. Give wisdom to their leaders. Give wisdom to our leaders. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. So we've been in a series on the book of Exodus. And we are in a series within a series as we consider each of the Ten Commandments. And today we're going to be looking at the ninth commandment, the commandment, it's the truth commandment. Now, this week, for, for illustrative purposes only, I found a company that specializes in deceptive services. Paladin Deception Services. Anybody ever use this? Don't answer that. And no, I'm not going to give out the web address. But for a monthly fee you can access their deceptive support services. Deceptive support services. And they have different packages. Need a fictitious reference? Fake landlord reference? Fake 
former employer reference. If you need a white lie, you need an alibi. We keep it legal. That's what they say. Meaning they'll lie to your spouse, but not the FBI. Uh, Their claims uh, both amuse and confuse me. For instance, it says, uh, dependable quality service. (laughs) Or how about this one? The trusted name. The the, the trusted name in covert disinformation. Really, should we be trusting the advertising claims of a deceptive services company? I just thought I would ask that question. Clearly, the owner needs a word from Exodus 2016. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is so relevant to our lives, not just our culture, but our lives here. It is um, for this reason. You know, the Oxford Dictionaries, each year, they have a word of the year. And in 2006, the Oxford Dictionaries, uh, excuse me, 2016, the Oxford Dictionaries word of the year was the word post-truth. Post-truth. And here's how the Oxford Dictionaries defined post-truth. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Just study that for just a moment. Post-truth. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Hmm. In his excellent book, um, Saving Truth, Finding Meaning and Clarity in a Post-Truth World, Abdu Murray talks about the effects or the consequences of a post-truth culture. And he made two observations. We gather information about the world to conform to what we want to be true, not to what is actually true. That's what post-truth does to us. See, and We don't look to facts to find out the truth. We look at editorialized facts to support our preferences. Hmm. Biblically, Truth exists independently of my preferences. Biblically, truth critiques my preferences, argues with my preferences, challenges my preferences, offers guardrails when my preferences would take me to fatal places. So as we're considering the ninth commandment, really, It comes down, and it's really this issue, and I I beg of you, church family, to really think about it critically, about what is the nature of truth. And it really comes down to one of two questions here. What do you believe about truth? Is it something that you make, 
Or is it something that you discover? Do you create it? Or do you find it, discover it, you see? Biblically, it's the latter. Biblically, truth is not something that you get to create. Truth is something, someone, you discover. And that's what we'll see as we consider the ninth commandment. Now, recall that you know, the ninth commandment, as a part of the Ten Commandments, are a part of Israel's legal code. So the ninth commandment initially talks to the integrity of the courts. The ninth commandment includes, but is not limited to, truth-telling in a court of law. Truth-telling in a court of law. So, you know, other than jury duty, uh, I'm pretty well removed from the daily doings of our judicial system. I know that our courthouse is public, but, they, you know, there's a process. You've got to go through security, etc. But, you know, in the Bible, it was different. Court was held by the city gates, and people coming and going would uh, witness open-air court cases. And um, Job was an example of someone who heard cases. You read about his life, the Old Testament character Job. And I'm also thinking of Deborah. She was a judge um, who judged Israel, the book of Judges tells us. But these were open-air cases, either at the city gates or under a tree, as Deborah judged. And so when there were disputes or crimes, uh, the uh, contestants would go and the elders of the town, the judges, respected people from their society would sit and court would convene and plaintiffs would give their side and defendants would rebut and trials rested on the testimony of witnesses. So there were no forensic evidence procedures, no crime scene investigators, no, no fingerprint files, no DNA tests. Everything hinged on the witnesses. Judges and juries are not omniscient. To render a just verdict requires adherence to the bar of truth. And if witnesses said, well, we saw you steal or we saw you kill or we heard you blaspheme, then, then the defense would cross-examine. Proverbs 18, 17 tells of a presumption of innocence. Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his case first seems right. Remember that when you're reading the papers. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. You see? So then after the, the witness and the cross-examination, and then the judges would weigh their testimony, render a verdict, and pass the sentence. And if it was a difficult case, other judges would be called, and Moses took the most difficult cases. But there was no holding place, no death row. Once the sentence was passed, it would be carried out. And, and so witnesses had sway over life and death. That's why Proverbs 25, 18 says, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the man who gives false testimony against his neighbor. Silence could be a form of witness. 
I'm thinking of Leviticus 5, 1. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. So the whole issue of the ninth commandment was initially to protect the integrity of the court system. Now, was this foolproof? Of course not. It's a sinful, broken, fallen world. But safeguards protected the system from corruption. And I'll mention three of those safeguards in Hebrew law. First, no one was put to death on the testimony of just one witness. So, so the Old Testament law assumes that the testimony of just one witness might be inaccurate or incomplete. So there had to be two or three witnesses, which would be conspiracy if they, if they all lied. The second safeguard was that the witnesses to a capital offense, if the defendant was sentenced and found guilty, the witnesses to the capital offense were required to initiate capital punishment. I found that very interesting. Deuteronomy 17, 7 says, The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And some might say, well, that's barbaric. And I totally understand. I totally get that. But that's not my point. The point is it made you think more than twice about what you actually witnessed. See, And then thirdly, the penalty for bearing false witness was identical to the penalty of the alleged crime. And so Deuteronomy 19, 18 and 19 say, the judges must make a thorough investigation, and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against his brother, then do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from among you. So... This commandment specifically speaks to the integrity of judicial proceedings. Justice depends upon truth. You know, a lying witness is a menace. It's one thing to tell a white lie out in the foyer, but a lying system is a threat to the nation. If courts or kings be corrupt, the nation will collapse. And so, you know, people debate whether or not the Ten Commandments belong on the courthouse grounds, and that debate will continue. My preference, if anybody's asking, my preference would just be one verse. Just, just give me one verse. I can't see how anyone, Christian or not, could object to Leviticus 19.15. Here's what it says. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Ah, Christian or non-Christian, how could anyone object to that? Because you see, truth is not made. Truth is discovered. So if a 23-year-old lies to the FBI about being uh, and, and about being abducted when he was six, he should be impartially judged. 
And if a prominent, affluent attorney pleads guilty to mail fraud in an academic cheating scandal, he should be impartially judged. The ninth commandment doesn't play favorites. That's the point. It is committed to the impartial, unbiased truth. Because truth is not made, truth is discovered. And when there's a corrupt judicial system anywhere, then it's just, all, it's just a matter of time till society collapses. That's what's behind Psalm 11.3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So, so this is about the integrity of the judicial system. But, but please understand, primarily the ninth commandment does not exist out of concern for people's rights, primarily. Uh, that is secondary. Or, uh, uh, the primary reason has to do with who God is. The primary reason has to do with God's perfect, impartial, righteous character. Let me explain it this way. Many of you know that my wife teaches English as an international language. And her students come from many countries, uh, Turkey, Vietnam, Congo, Korea, and they all come into her classroom from their backgrounds and their languages. They're there to learn from her one language, one language. The ninth commandment informs us that heaven has but one language. And it's neither English or Spanish or French or Tagalog, or Kinyarwanda. Rather, it's truth. Truth is God's native tongue. And that's all he speaks. He is not bilingual. God speaks but one language, Hebrews 6.18. It is impossible for God to lie. Truth is God's native tongue. The other day I was walking through the foyer, and I glanced here in the worship center. On stage, there was someone and the, you know, the piano lid was up. They were tuning the piano, getting ready for Easter, making sure it's on pitch because the instruments are going to be tuned to the piano and making sure everybody's on the same page pitch-wise. Can you imagine the disaster of one of our instruments being off pitch and out of tune on Easter? Well-trained musicians with a highly developed sense of pitch couldn't perform. They just couldn't. I mean, you know, me, I, you know, I can barely blow a whistle. So I can deal with a few, you know, scratchy notes. But not well-trained musicians, they'd be so traumatized and irritated, they would have to stop for self-preservation purposes. You know, and a, an accomplished musician would, would feel an incapacitating level of agitation. And the more fine-tuned their sense of pitch, the more infuriating the screechy, scratchy sounds would be. Just take your fingernails and scratch them against the chalkboard. <laughs> do you know what, church family? That's, what, that's the flavor of what our lies do to the heart of God. They may not keep us awake at night, but God bristles at falsehood because truth is at the very center of who he is. Titus 1, 2 tells us, God does 
not lie. On the other hand, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the deceiver, your enemy and mine, all he knows is lies. All he knows is lies. Jesus himself said this. In John 8, 44, Jesus said to his religious enemies, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So you see, the issue here is not about courtesy and culture. It's not about being a courteous gentleman or a cultured lady. That's how the world sees it. The, the, issue, the issue is much bigger than behavioral decency. It's about the declaration of allegiance to a particular kingdom. So the issue is this. To which kingdom do I belong? Because once you open your mouth, we, we know where you're from. See, Your words reveal your homeland. And false witnesses betray allegiance to Satan's kingdom, which is why 2 Thessalonians 2.10, 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says that unbelievers perish because they refuse to love the truth. They refuse to love the truth. But we, the community of the redeemed, we who have been rescued from a past we could not extricate ourselves. God in his grace has declared us to be a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a treasured possession. So how ought such people speak? They should speak the language of their homeland. And heaven's language is truth. It's truth. So, so the ninth commandment goes beyond the courtroom of law to the courtroom of life. God wants us to understand that the entire world is a courtroom. And you know, whether you tell the truth or not, it matters to us as a community. That's why Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So truth is a community matter. And the ninth commandment encourages us to speak truthfully in the community of our vocations. So everyday questions at work call us to truth. Questions like, did you look at the report I sent? Did you finish the project I assigned? Did you follow up on this person like you said you would? Did you send in the paperwork? Did you, did you make the payment? Did you finish your work? Did you turn in your work? It's a yes or no. It's a yes or no. And, and you know when I lie, it's just because I, I don't want to be held accountable. The ninth commandment is needed not only in the community of our vocations, but in the community of academics. I read this week that the, the Department of Justice Office of Public Affairs uh, reported, uh, re 
the report actually came out March the 25th, stating that Duke University will pay our government $112.5 million in restitution for allegations of falsifying research for federal grants. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Who wants to take medication that's based on falsified research? The ninth commandment is true in the community of sports. We need time clocks, out-of-bounds markers, and rule books, and honest referees. There has to be one standard, otherwise it's a form of false witness. I read about a basketball game. It was in the final seconds of a girls' basketball game when one of the players launched the ball the entire length of the court, and she made the basket. And yet it did not count because one foot was out of bounds. In other words, she was actually further than she had to be. They should have given her five points, not three. <laughs> right? But it didn't count. Because you can't make a basket from out of bounds. You, you, you can't make a basket from the grandstands. You can't make baskets that way. Otherwise, there's no game. That's the ninth commandment. Uh, are performance-enhancing steroids fair? Or are they a form of false witness? Is it fair for biologically born males who identify as females in high school to then be allowed to compete in women's categories? Or is it a form of false witness? Depends on which state you reside. In Connecticut and 16 other states, all you have to do is declare your preferred gender in high school. And, and our nation is conflicted on this. I mean, well, okay, but what about, what about the biological females? I mean, how is, it fair, how is it fair to the biological females? And it just depends on which state. And, and we're conflicted on this as any nation would be that departs from the bare truth of Genesis 1.27. And God made them male and female. When we depart from that simple truth, we invite ourselves into a complex system of handbooks and inclusion manuals and conflicted legal codes among states, all to accommodate the very serious matter of gender dysphoria. Again, I ask the question, is truth something that we make, or is truth something we discover and find? Is it, is, it, is it inside of ourselves, in alliance with our preferences, or do we let it argue with us and challenge us and make demands of us, you see? Uh, uh, this is so important, church family, because... I mean, you know that if someone, if someone says something in error long enough and loud enough, our world will just believe it. And I don't want that to happen to us. Truth exists outside ourselves, you see. 
Uh, please consider C.S. Lewis' words here. He said, The Christian religion is, in the long run, a thing of unspeakable comfort, but it does not begin in comfort. It begins in dismay. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. Well, we certainly need the ninth commandment in the courtroom of our relationships. Sometimes we bear false witness in conflict, don't we? We, we tend to want to exaggerate our side of the story in order to give ourselves the upper hand. It happened to Jesus. For instance, in Matthew 26, 61, here's what they said Jesus said, all right? Matthew 26, 61. This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, here's what Jesus really said. John 2, 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. He's talking about the temple of his body. And then there's gossip. Proverbs 18, 8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Are our lives that dull that we need to pay attention to gossip? The next time you're, you're tempted to gossip, please ask yourself these questions. First, is what I'm about to say true? Second, if so, does it really need to be said to this person in this conversation? And third, would I put it this way if the person I'm talking about were here to listen? And if you hear gossip, confront it. Please. Say something like this. You know, this sounds like gossip. Let's talk about something else. That's all you need to say. Or you know, I really shouldn't be listening to this. Have you, have you actually gone to the person and sat down with them? Because if you haven't, then we don't need to talk about it here. Church, it's not, it's not persecution that shuts down churches. It's not, it's, not, it's not lack of funds. It's not. It's not. You know what kills churches? Gossip kills churches. Gossip kills churches. Now, there's a temptation to walk away from this commandment and say, well, okay, then I'm just going to speak the truth, whatever's on my mind. No. No. One leader put it this way. Telling the truth means everything you say is true, but not everything true needs to be said. Okay? So transparency requires that I be completely honest and strategically wise. And so being truthful doesn't mean vomiting your feelings on others. It doesn't. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Do you like my dress? Do you like my hair? Do you like my suit? We don't abandon things like courtesy or etiquette. 
You can still begin letters with dear so-and-so, okay? And you can close those letters with sincerely or respectfully, even if the person isn't dear to you, okay? And why? Well, because courtesy matters. Verbal discipline matters. And let me just try to answer a question that someone may ask me in the fireside room afterwards. And someone may say, well, Randy, are you saying that lying is wrong in any place and any time? What about the Holocaust when the Nazis interrogated those who hid Jewish people? Or, you know, or what about Exodus chapter 1 with, when the midwives lied to Pharaoh? You know, was that wrong? You know, any response other than a lie would have cost lives. Well, go back to the commandment, and it talks about the importance of your neighbor. Your neighbor. So, so here's how I answer that question. In dire life and death circumstances, wisdom would dictate the right words, even if evasive. But here's the deal, and please pay attention. A life and death dire circumstance is not the same as a difficult circumstance. And too often we want to appeal to the dire and rare to excuse us from the everyday responsibility of truth. Okay. We need more than moral willpower to keep this commandment. We need radical conversion. And that's precisely what Colossians 3, 9, and 10 speaks of. When Paul says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the old self is gone, the new self has been put on, and the new self is being renewed after the image of the Creator. And it's then based on that that we are able to keep the ninth. So, so our identity in Christ determines our speech on behalf of Christ. You never speak a word on your behalf as a Christian. You always speak on behalf of another, for we are ambassadors of the King. And it's based on that that we speak. So, David Siemens is a Christian author and professor. He once wrote, there's really only one cure for lying. He said, I had to do it in my own life, and it's a horrible remedy, but it's the only one I know that works. As soon as the Holy Spirit checks you, and you catch yourself in a lie, go back and tell the truth to the person to whom you lied. He tells a story about a salesman who was closing a deal to the manager of a large company. And this manager was on the verge of choosing between one of two products. And the manager said to the salesman, okay, which of these two products did my competitor buy from you? And the salesman said, well, the costlier product. But that was a lie. And so the company manager signed a large contract for the costlier item. And the moment the salesman picked up his briefcase, he knew that he was not alone. The Holy Spirit said, you told a lie. But the man was too embarrassed to do anything about it. And the next day, he was unbearable. He couldn't take it anymore, so he went back to the manager. He said, you know, here's the deal. My life has been changed by Christ, and I told you a lie the other day. The company you asked about bought the cheaper product, and I, so I've canceled this contract. And 
you probably don't want to buy something from a company who'd employ a salesman like me, but if you do, I'll send you another salesman. And the manager was so impressed that he kept the original contract. So you have to decide whether or not your character is more important than your reputation. Your, your reputation is what people think you are. Your character is who you really are. Your reputation is what everybody sees in the light. Your character is who you are in the dark. Your reputation is what impresses people. Your character is what impresses God. You impress people at a distance. You impact people up close. Reputation is about fantasy. <laughs> character is about reality. And the ninth commandment challenges us to live in reality, to get in touch with reality. And so here's the reality in terms of how God has designed our tongues. Here it is, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. If we would but commit ourselves to giving grace with our words to those who hear. If we would focus on that, we won't have to ever have to worry about lying because we'll be so intent on truth-telling and encouraging and challenging and building one another up. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. The tongue of the learned, what is that like? Here it is. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Anybody weary here today? Anybody need encouragement today? You know what? This is our opportunity to do with the tongues God has given us what will glorify him and sustain others. Who needs my encouragement? Who needs a sustaining word in the midst of their weariness? Well, that's the ninth. This commitment to truth. God's native tongue. Each week, we celebrate the Lord's table. And we're going to do that here. It's the truth table. You know that? The Lord's table is a truth table. It tells the truth about us and our need for forgiveness. This communion, is a this communion is a reality supper. And you can't take communion the way God wants you to take communion if you come deceptively. You can only come in reality. You come in truth. You face up to your need. You face up to sin. It's truth time. And then we, we face the truth about God. Our sin meets God's grace. And God's grace wins. And church family, that is the truth. Amen? Heavenly Father, it is true that Jesus reigns on high and it is true that Jesus Christ came into this world to rescue sinners. And it is true that one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you for letting us proclaim that truth which will be proclaimed for all eternity. Thank you for letting us proclaim that now as a church family together. And God's people said, amen.